Hallelujah. Guys, sound like heaven in here. Sound like a heavenly choir. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I so was blessed by that worship. To hear the congregation out singing these guys, man, you guys sounded great. That's what church is about. Church is about us coming together on Sunday morning and offering a sacrifice of praise. And that's what we do when we sing songs. We offer a sacrifice of praise to our God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we give him praise. And now we get to turn to his word and let him feed our souls. And if you, uh, if you, don't have, if you have your Bibles, please turn this morning to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a new book this morning. And I don't know about you, but I am stoked. I'm excited. We, we kind of went through James kind of semi-fast. We spent two or three months in it, and then we spent a long time in Hebrews. And Peter, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing three or four months we'll be in the book of 1 Peter, or maybe somewhere thereabout. But I'm super excited to be in this book. And it's an amazing book. And that song we just sang, uh, Jesus is Our Living Hope, I want to bring a new meaning to that phrase this morning. I want you to see Jesus this morning as your living hope, as your, as your truly your living hope in the context of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. So let's read the first three verses to, to, to get a flow of things as uh, Peter opens up his epistle to the church that's being persecuted across Asia Minor. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The title of my teaching this morning is A Living Hope in Difficult Times. That's, that's, that's where we're going this morning for the next 30, 35, 40 minutes, is a living hope in difficult times. But how do we endure difficult times? How do, how do, how do we endure difficult times? What do we do when the going gets tough? And I don't know about you, I don't know if you're paying attention to the world situation, but times are going to get tough. Times are going to get tough for Christians. Times are going to get uh, tough for the church. And as pastors and as teachers and as church staff, we need to be preparing the body for the days ahead. Because difficult times could very well be on the horizon. So I hope you're listening this morning, and I hope, you're, I hope this has dialed you in. Because I want to talk about having a living hope in difficult times. I want to open up with... Uh, I want you to meet, if you don't already know him, meet Pastor James Coates and his family. He is the pastor of Grace Life Church in Canada. Pastor Coates was arrested and jailed for 35 days for refusing to bow to the government's restrictions placed on worship gatherings. Uh, incarcerated for 35 days, they met for 37 straight Sundays, but he, he was put in jail. 
The judge told Pastor Coates, if you will stop holding church gatherings, we will release you. The pastor in his orange jumpsuit, standing before the judge behind a monitor, said, Your Honor, I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm not a political revolutionary. I'm not here to make a scene. I am simply here in obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's my obedience to Christ that has put me at odds with the law. So not only has he been hit hard, but his wife has been hit hard. His wife's name is Aaron Coates. And people have taken pop shots at his wife on social media. And on her Instagram feed, one person said to her on Instagram, she said, your husband deserves to be in jail, is what, she, is what they posted to her account. She responded with, no, my husband deserves hell, but God has shown him grace. Today, as we speak, this very moment, uh, I think it happened about a week ago. It happened in the past, how long ago? Just this past week, the government has ramped it up. And today, as we speak this morning, the, the Canadian government has surrounded their church with a double fencing and law enforcement patrol to prevent them from gathering. Family. These are Christians that take their faith serious. Now, don't get misunderstand me. We know there's a virus taking place, and we want to take every measure to protect ourselves and guard our families and, and stay in good health. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But we can't forsake the fellowship. We can't forsake the gathering, man. This is our lifeline, worshiping God, getting into his word, being in fellowship. This is so critical. I, I can predict your Christian life based on your Christian practices, staying in fellowship, staying connected, staying in the word, staying in, in the worship. We got to have those. Brothers in Christ, I need you. I need you. You need me. We got to do, do this thing together, man. We got to rub shoulders. Ladies, y'all need each other. We need fellowship. There is something supernatural that takes place when Christians gather and the Lord uses them to encourage and sharpen one another. The scripture says, so as, one man sh uh, so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But you see, for these Christians, their faith is their life. You know, we can't treat our faith like Walmart. We can't go there when needed, man, or when it's convenient. We, we, we've got to um, take our devotion to Christ, not just going to church, but, but reading the scriptures and, and being in fellowship and putting some worship songs on and in your quiet place, in your home, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your prayer closet, spending time in the presence of the Lord, spending time with your Savior and the Holy Spirit and meditating on the Word, man. We need to be rich and strong in those Christian practices. You see, the recipients of First Peter, this book that we're beginning this morning, they are facing difficult times. In 64 AD, Rome was set on fire. Rome was set on fire. And Emperor Nero, with no evidence, he blamed the Christians for starting the fire. And this would set off a wave of persecution that would last for nearly 250 years against the believers, all up to the point where Constantine became emperor of Rome and he legalized Christianity. But from 64 AD, when the fires in Rome started, till 300, 310, somewhere in there AD, when Constantine came in, man, the, the, the Christians took a shellacking. They took a whooping. And, and it was tough on them. So Peter's writing to them. 
You know, I was talking with some pastors Friday night, and we asked the question, is the body of Christ prepared for difficult times? Is the body of Christ prepared for difficult times? We need to gird our loins. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our minds. We need to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be focused on living the Christian life and serving him through the difficult times. You see, there's this false theology out there that you become a Christian, all will go well in life. It's just not true. It's just not true. I don't know about you, but my life hasn't all gone well. I've had lots of curveballs. I've had lots of heartbreaks. I've had lots of difficult situations. As a Christian, Alistair Begg says this. Alistair Begg says, Christianity is not about how you escape from the difficulties of life. It's about how you face the difficulties of life. So how do we get through trials, difficulties, and tribulations? It comes down to this. Your value of Jesus Christ. If you have a very high value of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will endure tribulations, persecutions, and hard times. If you have a low value of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're more likely to succumb to the temptations to compromise. So we have to elevate our value. We've got to elevate our value for the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to see him in all his glory. And I think that's where Peter's going this morning. That's where, I think that's where Peter is opening up in his salutation this morning of opening up 1 Peter. So without further ado, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I want to stop right there. This is Peter. This is Peter. Peter, I like, I like Peter. Because he had, the, he had a, a, a problem that I had a lot, that I've had a lot in my life, and that's the foot-in-the-mouth syndrome. He, 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 this is the same Peter that proclaimed to Christ. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus responded and said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the same Peter that Jesus had to re- rebuke and say, get behind me, Satan. He had, his, he had his high moments, and he had his low moments. This is the St. Peter that stepped out on the water to go to Jesus. He saw the waves. He started sinking, and he went down, and Jesus picked him up. But this is the St. Peter that walked on the water. This is the St. Peter that, that uh, sunk when he doubted. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed on the evening before the crucifixion, and his heart was crushed as he let his Lord down, and he denied him as Jesus had predicted. But later, on the sea of, by the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus restores him by asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It broke Jesus' heart, and he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, what does he say? Feed my sheep. I like Peter, and we can learn a lot from this apostle. But Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Notice the first thing there in verse 1. Um, he, he calls them aliens. He calls them aliens. If you want to, here's the first principle. If you want to have a living hope in a difficult time, you need to understand this. You are an alien, okay? You are an alien. Some of your translations out there say exiles. Some of your translations say foreigners or pilgrims. But what's a pilgrim? A pilgrim is someone that is passing through. A pilgrim is someone that that doesn't settle down. A pilgrim is someone that sees the end 
They know that where their ultimate destination is. See, our hope is not fixated on this world. But our ultimate hope, our living hope, the song we sang about, the title of my message, is that day when we see our Savior face to face. So we're aliens just passing through. Don't get me wrong. I want to live a long life. I want to be blessed. And, and I enjoy life. And I enjoy my family. And, and I'm thankful for the blessings. But my ultimate hope is found when I step into eternity. See, there's a future kingdom. There's a future kingdom awaiting each and every one of us. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, For you and I, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, when you put your eyes and you put your heart and you put your hope on heaven, the things in this world will take a less effect on you. Yeah, you'll be heartbroken. You'll, you may experience some setbacks, but your ultimate living hope will be fixed. And then he continues there in verse 1. Look at the end of verse 1 going into verse 2. It's a statement that starts in verse 1, but it ends in verse 2. I want to capture it as 1. He says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We have a living hope in difficult times when we know and understand. You ready for this? You are chosen. You are chosen. You are handpicked. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. Uh, It says we are chosen the foreknowledge. That word foreknowledge just simply means he had the knowledge ahead of time. He knew it before it happened. He knew your life before you came into existence. And he chose you to be in Christ. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. And because of the fact that you are chosen and we go through difficult times in this life and times get trying, understand this, nothing or no one can pluck you from his hand, okay? You are eternally secure in the Father's hand. He chose you. He selected you. He pulled you out of this world. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give, them, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And here it is. Jesus said it, okay? John chapter 10, verse 28, for those taking notes. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Brings such security to my heart. It brings such peace of mind to know that Christ has chosen me, that he has selected me. And come hell or high water, whatever happens in this life, whatever curveballs come, whatever tragedy, whatever persecution, whatever tribulation Nothing can take me from my Father's hands. And that gives you and I hope in difficult times. So that's, that's the second principle. I, I didn't number them, but I'm just going to throw them out there because there's so many in this passage. I would have had multiple screens. But the next one, he continues in verse 2. After he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We have a living hope in difficult times Because the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is operating on the inside of us. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And we believe in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit at salvation. He comes down. He washes you clean. He makes you a new creation in Christ. He saves you. He redeems you. We believe in a second work of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where he gives you a gift to edify the body of Christ. Or maybe he gives you a prayer language. We believe in everything the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. And we need that power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives in difficult times. Because how many people know it gets hard? It gets difficult. And sometimes we can't do it in our own strength. And we need the Spirit of God working in our church and working in our individual lives. And then, but he says here the sanctifying work of the Spirit. I want to draw that out for a second. When he says there in verse 2, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, he's talking about another work of the Holy Spirit. And the other work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is purifying you. The Holy Spirit is peeling away the dross. He's peeling away the sin. He's peeling away the old habits. And he's making you holy. Holy. Think about the name of the, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is holy. He is holy. So when that Holy Spirit's living inside you, guess what he's going to do in your life? Well, first off, he's justified you and made you completely holy and acceptable in Christ as a Christian. But the Holy Spirit will cause you to grow throughout the Christian life. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the desire to come to church. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the desire to read the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit that desires you to want more of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us to grow, okay? We can't do it all in and of ourselves. I can encourage Brandon. Brandon can encourage me. But we need the Spirit of God moving. And, and, and that's where Peter's going. He's, he's, he's speaking to these persecuted Christians. And he's saying, hey, guys, you can do it. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You have the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And then he continues there in verse 2. It says, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. This is rich. This is deep. This is theological because they're going through difficult times. And when you go through difficult times, you need rich, deep, theological truth to get you through. None of this fluffy stuff. None of this Christianity light stuff. You need the deep truths of the Bible to get into your mind, get into your heart, help you understand what you have in Christ. And then you're like, come on, world, bring it on. I'm ready to fight the good fight. I'm ready to live victorious. But here, at the end of verse 2, there's two points he says here. He says, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood. You know, um, a, a, a living hope in difficult times comes from obeying Christ Jesus. It comes from obeying Christ Jesus. And our obedience can directly be related to the value we place in Christ I'm just telling you, it's a fact. It's a fact. If you could look inside my heart, if I could look inside your heart, the more you value Christ and the more you lift him up and the more you understand his greatness, the more you will obey. The more you will obey. The lower he is, the lower value, well, he's not that bad important, I don't care, you know, whatever, the less obedience. That's why we have to not, we have to instruct and teach obedience but we have to elevate people's value of the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience will fall in place. And then he says to be sprinkled by his blood. I love this phrase, sprinkled by his blood. 
I, when I read it, it the, the, the thought that captured my mind is, is to live in difficult times, to have hope in difficult times, is this. we got to live in the shadow of the cross. Man, the cross is everything. If you, if you don't like hearing about the cross, you might want to go somewhere else. Because we love the cross. We love the cross. And we will never, ever, ever get tired of talking about the cross. The cross is where we are forgiven. The cross is where we are washed. The cross is where we find complete freedom and liberty in this beautiful, glorious, rugged cross. We Christians in difficult times, by faith, understanding theology, understanding the Bible, we live in the shadow of the cross, knowing and thinking about that great sacrifice where he, as verse 2 says, he sprinkled his blood. And then he says, I love this phrase, I can't, can't skip over it, but he says, ends with verse 2, he says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. I can't help but to think when we understand everything that's said in verse 1 and verse 2, that grace will not be magnified in our life. That grace will not be magnified in our life. It says, may grace and peace be yours. That, that phrase there, the fullest measure. In other words, you will experience that fullest measure of grace when you value Christ and you understand you are chosen and, and you understand the sanctifying work of the Spirit and you understand what it means to live in the shadow of the cross. I, 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 would, I wish I could have been there to hear these Christians getting this letter from Peter. What was it like? You know, they're being persecuted. They're going through tribulation. They're going through difficult times. I think Peter's words were like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh, wow, we got a letter from the apostle. Let's read it. Let's check it out. Oh, he's encouraging us. Oh, this is great. He continues in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, here it is, the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 3 tells, instructs our minds and instructs our hearts why we have the, this phrase, a living hope. It says right there at the very end, look at it. It says, by what? From his resurrection from the dead. You see, Everything we believe about Christ, we talked about this last Sunday on Easter Sunday. Everything we believe about Christ, we believe he was born of a virgin because of his resurrection from the dead. We believe he died on the cross from his resurrection. See, the resurrection from the dead was the validation. It was God's stamp of approval that everything Christ said and did was true. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, John 14, 6, because his resurrection from the dead. We believe one day we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Why? By his resurrection from the dead. You see, his resurrection from the dead, that bodily resurrection on the early Sunday morning, brings us hope. And that, that resurrection from the dead, it gives us hope in our difficult times, in our pain, in, in our tears, in our sorrow, in our heartbreak. We, we lift our souls up to him because he rose from the grave. And we experience that living hope that comes from trusting in him. There's only one. There's only one in, in the existence of this universe that was born of a virgin. There was only one who died for our sins. There's only one who rose from the grave. There's only one who poured out his spirit. And that's our living hope, the Lord Jesus. And then he says in verse 4, building on this hope, he says, to obtain an inheritance 
which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's interesting in verse 4 that Peter, um, he describes what our living hope is not. Or, or, or he, he, he describes, he doesn't describe, gives us details in this verse of what it is, but he, but he says what it, what it is not. And it is not imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved for you in heaven. You see, this living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will outlast everything. It will outlast everything. This living hope in Jesus Christ will outlast your family. It will outlast your money. It will outlast time. It will outlast the universe. It will outlast our existence. That's why we call it eternal. It will last forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there was never a moment when they did not exist. They're from eternity past to eternity future. They dwell outside the realm of time and space. They dwell in eternity. But their kingdom, because they're the ones that created this, what we see here on earth, this universe, their kingdom is eternal. And if Christ comes tomorrow or whether Christ comes 500 years from now, we can all have that same living hope. It will not go away. There will be no new religion. There will be no new holy book. There, there was one gospel. There's one God and Father. There's one Son. There's one gospel, and that's the gospel we trust in, the gospel that's been around since the beginning. Verse 5, he says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, this living hope that we have in Christ, this living hope that he gives each and every one of us, it protects our hearts, our soul, and our mind. This living hope it will, will protect our heart, our soul, and our mind. You may take a beating. You may take a beating on the outside. You may go through tough times. You may go through difficulties. Jesus promised trials and tribulations. The New Testament promises trials and tribulations. But in those trials and tribulations, the Father is holding your hand. The Father is holding your hand in the fire. The Father is holding your heart in the fire, in the trial, in the difficulty. See, some, some, you know, in our deepest darkest, we have to look through it. We have to look through it and say, Lord Jesus, I'm clinging to you. I'm holding on to you in this difficult, trying time. When the world and people are, are compromising, I'm going to stand firm in the truth. When, when, I'm, when there's persecution, I'm going to stand firm, and I'm going to hold on to my faith in you. The promise of Scripture in Deuteronomy and in Hebrews 13, 5, Scripture, God says to you guys, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What an amazing promise. Guys, that's for you. That's for you. That's for me. That when you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, does that help us understand why it says, no one can snatch them out of my hands? Because you belong to Jesus. You belong to the Lord. And he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. 
Don't, get, don't misunderstand me. There's difficulties in life. And, and, and we've gone through times in our life where it's like, oh, my, where is God in this? I don't see it. I don't understand it. You know, we go through those times. But God, whether we see it or not, whether we realize it or not, he's holding our heart. And he's holding our hand. And he's taking us through the trial and tribulation because he is our living hope. Verse 6, the scripture says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. As we go through the book of 1 Peter, you're going to see almost in every single chapter, uh, Peter stops for a moment and indicates to us that they're going through um, trials and tribulations. But what do trials and tribulations do for the believer? Is there any good purpose for, for trials and tribulations? Number one, I would present to you, trials and tribulations produce a backbone. Trials and tribulations produce a backbone. You know, our faith needs to be tested. We need to go through difficult times. In case our faith is not solid, it gets exposed that it's not solid, and then we do what it takes to fortify our faith and build it up. But it produces a backbone. It gives us resolve. It gives us an, an eternal perspective on life when we go through difficult times because we know that the kingdom of head, the kingdom ahead, this future, we will not experience those same difficulties. Trials and tribulations build our faith. And ultimately, trials and tribulations direct our hearts to heaven. They, when we go through the difficulties of life, you have a heavenly father above that you can call on in your, dif- your most difficult, darkest hour. Call on your heavenly father. Go to your prayer closet. Pour your heart out. And let him know what's on your heart. But guess what? He already knows. He already knows. But he invites you to pour your heart out to him and to grow in the trials and tribulations. Verse 7, he says, um, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Here in verse 7, he's speaking of the value of our faith. Do we value our faith? Do you understand how important faith in Christ is? Do do you understand it? Look at there, verse 7. He says, speaking of the value of faith, he says at the beginning of verse 7, he said it's more precious than gold. In other words, your faith in Christ is more important than anything this side of heaven. More important than anything that you have a rock-solid faith in Christ. It's more important than your checkbook. It's more important than your family. It's more important than the air we breathe, that we have a living, real faith. It's more precious than gold. And he said, which is perishable, it is tested by fire. We, we don't like this. This is hard, difficult to say, but our faith needs to be tested. I would rather my faith be tested in this life and be and for me to discover the faults and fix it than to step into the other side and realize I never had faith at all. So our faith being tested 
is very important. And the goal of our faith, the goal of our faith, it's not to, it's not to show ourselves off. It's not to say, hey, look at me, look at my faith. You know, I identify with Peter and, and Thomas and all the, you know, the doubters and the failures. I, I identify with those guys. But what is, the, what is the goal of our faith? He says it at the end of verse 7. He says, so that it may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We want our faith to honor, bring praise, bring glory, and bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he inserts this uh, word in there, verse 7, the revelation. He also could be seeing, you know, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Christ returns, you know, when, when he splits that eastern sky, I, I, my hope and my prayer is that he, he sees David and he says, uh, you got faith, you're trusting. You know, have faith on that day. You know, so that's why and our, our faith is, is, a, is living on the inside of us, it's believing, it's trusting, but, it, but it's also, it's, 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 it's living. In other words, it's, it's, it, we need to grow. And that's what we're doing this morning. As we walk through the word, we're growing our faith. And I'm challenging you guys to let your faith grow so that it will be for God's praise, God's honor, and God's glory when you stand before Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Verse 8. Um, this is real faith. This is, not, I say, this is a good definition of faith. There's, there's many, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is it impossible to please God? For those who come to him must believe that he exists, Hebrews chapter 11. But verse 8 is a beautiful portrait of what faith is. Look at verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. Full of glory. Family, I've been a Christian since 1992. I've been serving the Lord. And to this day, I have still not seen Christ Jesus with my physical eyes. And and I doubt anybody else here has. But by faith, through the front row seat of the scriptures, opening the word of God, I have a front row seat by faith, to witness his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that faith, by studying the scriptures and reading reading the text about him and singing songs about worshiping him, it has produced an authentic love. That's another reason why we study the scriptures, to have this living hope, is it produces a love for Jesus, okay? I don't know about you guys, but when you were dating, you know, to fall in love with someone in the, in the truest sense, you have to spend time with them. You know, I had to court Irene. I had to take her out on dates. I had to get to know her. There was this infatuation in the end, in the very beginning. It's like, wow, she's beautiful. But it took time of dating and courting and spending time with each other that I grew to love her more and more each time. And the same could be said of our heartfelt commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ, that as we spend time with him, we look into his word and we study it, 
by faith, understanding the scriptures. It gives us a picture of faith, and we love him more and more. And it says, you do not see him now, but you believe in him. To believe means you trust in him. You love him. And, you, and it says, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. There is just this overwhelming sense in the believer's heart uh, of joy, inexpressible, that takes place as you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you understand the cross, as you understand the resurrection, as you understand what he's done for you. It will produce a supernatural joy that no one can take away. And family, we need that joy in our hour of trial, in our hour of difficult of difficult times. Verse 8. Oh, we just did verse 8. <laughs> but yeah, that's he's our one passion. He's our one passion. Christ is our passion. And, and, and as long as you come to Calvary Chapel, man, we're gonna, we want to set you on fire. Set you on fire for the Lord. Where is your top priority in life? To live for Christ. Verse 9, he says, to obtain, excuse me, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. There's a glorious reward. There's a glorious reward at the end of you growing in faith and trusting in Christ. There's a glorious reward at the end. And one day, I will no longer need faith. One day, you will no longer need faith. One day, you will stand in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You will stand in the presence of the one who was crucified. You will stand in the presence of the one who rose from the grave. And you will get to see him face to face. And you'll get to talk with Jesus face to face. How glorious, how beautiful is that? That will be when we cross the finish line and we stand before him in glory. Let's wrap it up, verses 10 through 12. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through the who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This magnificent great hope that you and I have is founded on the entirety of Scripture. Not only is it founded on, on, on the truths of the New Testament, but it's founded on, on the Old Testament Scriptures. You see those prophets who were pitting the Old Testament? You ever, you ever gone to some of these older churches and seen these stained glass windows? You know, you got the blue and the red. You ever try to look through them? You look through them and somebody's in there and you, you see a fuzzy picture walking around? That's, what, that's how the Old Testament prophets saw the Messiah. They were looking through a stained glass window, and they saw these fuzzy pictures of Christ. You see, Christ is throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 16 speaks of his resurrection. Psalms 22 speaks of his death. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 speaks of him crushing Satan. They had this picture that was not complete, or it was complete, but they couldn't see it clearly. And they longed for the, the day of the disciples. They longed for the time of the New Testament. They longed to see the picture that you and I see. 
I imagine when I get to heaven and I meet Isaiah, he's going to be sitting over the corner of heaven. You know what he's going to be doing? He's going to be reading the gospel of John. He's going to be like, wow, man, I prophesied this. I spoke this ahead of time. But the Old Testament prophets laid the foundation. You know, salvation has always been by faith. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, and all your ways acknowledge him. They were justified with God by faith. What does, Ab- what does it say about Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The only difference between us and them is they look forward to the Messiah. We look back to the Messiah. They were looking forward. We look back, and we all look forward to his glorious appearing. But the prophets looked through the uh, stained glass. Um, they laid out in detail Christ's life. And now, those Old Testament prophets, they have served us. They have served us because we can look in the New Testament and see all these beautiful, glorious fulfillments of Christ that were prophesied in the Old Testament. That's what makes studying this Bible a treasure. I love it, man. It's like when you open it up, man, it's, it's, it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it lights our path. It, it illuminates the truth of who God is. It's not so we can be religious or so we can fill our heads with knowledge. It's so that we can grow as a Christian into a mature believer. I present to you, family, Jesus Christ is our living hope in difficult times. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next week holds. I don't know what next month or next year holds. Things could get better. Things could get worse. I'm not a prognosticator. I don't know. But I know clearly from Scripture in the New Testament um, teachings that we need to be prepared for whatever may come in this life by having a living, fixed hope on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our living hope in difficult times. He is with us in the fire. He guards our hearts and minds from Satan's attack. And I close with this question. Is he your living hope? I hope this morning, first off, if you're not a believer, you know, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Salvation can be described as, as, uh, repent, as receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, inviting him into your life, repenting, turning from your sins, and putting your trust in Christ. And the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. If you haven't done that, man, what are you waiting on, man? This is the greatest adventure this side of eternity, is serving Christ and, and living for him. Let him be your living hope. Let him be the one who reigns in your life. If you haven't done that, there'll be prayer counselors down here at the altar as we close with this final song. And you can commit your life to Christ where you're sitting, okay? Coming to this altar does not bring salvation. What brings salvation is you receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But wherever you're at, wherever you're at in life, put your trust in Christ. Put your hope in him. Family, if you're going through a difficult time, as, as the worship team can come on up, um, let us, please give us the opportunity to pray for you. Give us the opportunity to minister to you. You know, our, our living hope is at its highest peak when 
There's nothing more important in this life to you than Christ. Again, there's nothing when, when there's nothing more important in this life than Christ. He is truly our living hope. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this um, epistle that you prophetically spoke through Peter to those Christians who were dispersed. But Father, in your sovereignty, you wrote it for us too. And it speaks to us this morning. Father, in our trials and our difficulties, Lord, let, help us, Lord, to gird up our loins, prepare our minds, and prepare our hearts by making you our living hope and our Lord and Savior throughout this life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need prayer, we invite you to come.